This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. It is Friday. We are concluding the week with more questions on fluid electrolytes, nutrition, and renal. Daphne, how are you? I'm doing great, buddy. This has been fun. It's been fun. All right. I'm starting you off question 33. Are you ready? No. All right. Preterm infants have higher serum creatinine concentrations in the first weeks of life compared to term infants. Preterm infants have a higher serum creatinine concentration in the first few weeks of life compared to term infants. That is because what? Choice A. Preterm infants have greater creatinine clearance because of impaired glomerular filtration. Choice B. Preterm infants have greater reabsorption of filter creatinine in leaky renal tubules. Choice C, both A and B are correct. Choice D, neither are correct. This is a very hard question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, then we're looking for a true statement here. I mean, I know that preterm infants do not have greater creatinine clearance. Creatinine clearance is like a healthy, mature kidney thing. <laughs> they don't have that. But. But. Is the answer neither. Preterm infants have a greater reabsorption of filtered creatinine and leaky renal tubular tubules. I mean, they probably have leaky renal tubules. That sounds like a very immature thing. Everything leaks out. But can they That's reabsorb true. it? I guess they must. Okay, I'm going to go with B, I guess. Good for you. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so choice B, preterm infants have greater reabsorption of filter creatinine in leaky renal tubules. Preterm infants have a lower creatinine clearance because of impaired glomerular filtration, and they have a greater reabsorption of filtered creatinine in leaky renal tubule. The range of serum creatinine concentration is based on postnatal age and birth uh, gestational age and is shown in a table that they're offering us in that answer choices. So we have. Um, the normal serum creatinine level based on gestational age. And so if you're looking at a 25 to 28 weeker, the creatinine will go from like 1.4 in week one to 0.9 in week two to eight week and week eight or more, it's like 0.4. And you'll see the same pattern. If you have a 29 to 34 weaker, it will go from 0.9 to 0.7 to 0.35. If you're looking at a more mature baby, 38 to 42 weeks, 0.5, 0.4, 0.4. So we're less leaky. So uh, they reabsorb less. And so in the serum, your creatinine will be going lower. Very mm. interesting. Yeah. Okay. This is a true or false question. We don't get a lot of true or false questions. And, oh, they, finally. You won't, love, and you won't love. see any on the test, a true or false no. question. <laughs> but, <I wish. laughs> autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease can be seen with prenatal ultrasonography as early as 16 weeks gestation and rarely presents with associated congenital hepatic fibrosis and some degree of biliary dysgenesis. Is that true or false? Autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease. ARPKD mm -hmm. can be seen with 
prenatal ultrasound as early as 16 weeks gestation. And okay, so that's you have for these true false, you have to look for facts, right? So they're saying that we can see it as early as week 16. That's fact number one. Rarely presents with associated congenital hepatic fibrosis and some degree of biliary dysgenesis. And now I want to dismiss the whole thing because of week 16. I don't think mm. you see it that early. I think it's a much later finding. I don't remember exactly when. That uh, is exactly, that's correct. Mm. That's exactly right. Okay, cool. Good Tell us how you. far So how far this, is a, this is a false statement. Otis, the, the now true statements, autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease, ARPKD, can be diagnosed by prenatal ultrasonography with findings of large echogenic kidneys with numerous cysts. However, these findings are not present until later in gestation. Uh, let's see. Um, sometimes they're not even seen into, you know, the neonatal period. I'm sure I'm telling you more characteristics of cysts, the sister and the renal collecting ducts. They usually are, uh, have a, um, snowstorm appearance on ultrasound. Yeah. They have complications secondary to oligohydramnios. But in contrast, fetuses with multicystic dysplastic kidneys have large uh, echogenic um, kidneys with thin walled cysts that are visible with prenatal ultrasonography by 20 weeks gestation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because you have to um, remember that the first nephron is, is like showing up around week eight. So, like, it's um, right. I mean, the 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 development of the kidney is relatively yeah it's kind of early to say that at 16 weeks you can see like a fully formed kidney with some some abnormal cells kind of yeah yeah um arpkd just to close out is associated with congenital hepatic fibrosis and some degree of biliary uh dysgenesis cool um i'll just mention autosomal uh autosomal dominant polycystic kidney disease um the cysts in the kidneys are uh common obviously but in contrast to arpkd who does it does have this kind of mild associated findings hepatic fibrosis and some degree of biliary dysgenesis um autosomal dominant has a much more multi-systemic involvement involved liver pancreas spleen cardiovascular system gu system and the brain mm -hmm. okay all right, Daphne, you're up. Question 35. Which of the following sequelae is most common among infants with autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease? Mm. Choice A, chronic lung disease. Choice B, death. Choice C, hypernatremia. Choice D, hypertension. Choice E, poor growth. That's, a, that's, that's an annoying question, but it is very yeah. high yield. You got to know, people, you got to know this. I mean, I think it's one of the most common causes of, of hypertension. I'm going to go with – it's not one of the most common causes of hypertension. I think it's highly associated with hypertension. It may have some of those other things, but I'm going to yeah. go with hypertension. Hypertension. ARPKD. Hypertension. You got to know this. A recent large cohort of infants with autosomal recessive polycystic kidney disease showed that 65% develop hypertension. Almost all had hyponatremia mm -hmm. as a result of underlying dysregulation of sodium reabsorption in the abnormally formed collecting ducts. This hyponatremia leads to intravascular volume expansion, followed by severe 
hypertension. Um, in that same cohort that developed, where 65% developed hypertension, 25% passed away, 12% of the survivors had chronic lung disease, and 42% had chronic renal insufficiency. When it comes to poor growth, that was only seen in 25% of survivors. So, yeah. Okay. All these, so basically, what's interesting is that all these choices, chronic lung disease, death, Hypertension, poor growth were possible. The one that was right. flat out wrong is the hypernatremia. Um, so yeah, yeah, because they have hyponatremia. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they have hyponatremia um, because they cannot reabsorb the sodium in the in the in the collecting in the abnormally formed collecting duct, and so the hyponatremia leads to uh, intravascular volume expansion followed by severe hypertension. Okie dokie. Mm -hmm. um, I have question 36, and then I think we're rounding out the uh, the cystic kidney diseases. <laughs> um, but which of the following statements is true about multi-cystic dysplastic kidney disease in the newborn? A, always presents as an abdominal mass on physical examination. B, bilateral disease is usually severe and presents with severe oligohydramnios and pulmonary hypoplasia. C, most newborns have an associated urinary tract abnormality, such as vesicurial reflux. D, unilateral disease usually presents with elevated uh, creatinine concentrations. E, is it B, C, and D, so everything but the abdominal mass? Or is it B and C, that bilateral disease is severe, presents with oligohydramnios and pulmonary hyperplasia, and that most newborns have an associated urinary tract abnormality? Mm -hmm. Let's go over this again. So choice A was that it's always present as an abdominal mass on PE. Uh, no, I don't think it's always. I mean, it can be present as a mass, but it's not always present as a mass. So that's that's incorrect. Um, bilateral disease is usually severe and presents with severe oligohydramnios and pulmonary hypoplasia. I think that's true. Um, yeah, I think if you have one, it's not that bad, but if you have two, it's quite, quite terrible. So B is probably correct. Um, that doesn't help me now because I still have a lot of choices that are possible. Uh, all right. Most newborns have an associated urinary tract abnormality, such as vesicoureteral reflux. That is true. I mean, I've seen enough um, multicystic dysplastic kidney to know that, yes, that is true. So B and C are correct. Now, if B and C are correct, that means that it's either F or mm -hmm. E. I just have to figure out if D is incorrect. Unilateral disease usually presents with elevated creatinine concentration. That is not correct. I've seen that. It's not true. Uh, so I'm going to say F, B and C. Yeah. That's correct. So... It's true that um, in multicystic dysplastic kidneys, bilateral disease is usually severe and presents with severe oligohydramnios and pulmonary hypoplasia. Most newborns do have an associated urinary tract abnormality, such as vesicurial reflux. Multicystic multi dysplastic kidney is the most common cause and of abdominal mass in the newborn. They love those questions. Mm -hmm. uh, abdominal mass is by age. So multi-cystic dysplastic kidney, most common cause of an abdominal mass in the newborn. However, many dysplastic kidneys involute even in the prenatal period. So an abdominal mass may not be present at birth in an infected infant. 
Bilateral disease is usually severe and presents with severe oligohydramnios and pulmonary hypoplasia, but those with unilateral disease usually lack signs or symptoms other than possibly abdominal mass. Approximately 20 to 43% have a urinary tract abnormality, such as vesicourethral reflux. Okay. Very quick. Okay. Question 37. Six-week-old infant born at 24 weeks of gestation has required continuous parenteral nutrition because of multiple episodes of neck. Recent lab evaluation demonstrates significant anemia. Which of the following has a critical role in red blood cell production and hemoglobin formation? Uh, if we talk, first of all, if we ask you this and it's trace elements, which one you're thinking of? Red blood cell production and hemoglobin formation. I know you know this. Yes. Okay. I, I mean, it's copper. Boom. Done. B. Copper. copper red. Red. Uh, red penny. Red blood Very cells. Very cool. All right. Let's go. <laughs> let's do a little rapid fire until we finish this page. We have two more questions. We're going to finish this up all the way to question 40. Okay. All I'm right. not reading the answer choice. You guys, we've, we've talked about copper enough. <laughs> Fine. Renal agenesis. Question 38. Renal agenesis occurs as a result of failure of development of A, the early pronephros, B, the nephrogenic cord, C, the mesonephric duct, or D, the ureteric bud. It's a tricky question. You just got to know this one. You yeah, just got to know, know this one. And don't fall for the pronephros. Because uh, it's like pro and it's you, you, rhetoric bud. Yeah, that's right. It's D. You're 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 rhetoric. How did you say that? You're you're rhetoric bud. You're rhetoric. No, no. Uh, let's review quickly. The development of the kidney involves multiple stages. First, the pronephros forms, but then it regresses there by the go. four weeks gestation. Comes and goes. Next, the mm-hmm. mesonephrous forms, uh, which gives rise to the mesonephric tubule and duct. And the mesonephric duct gives rise to the ureteric bud, which eventually becomes the collecting ducts after interacting with the undifferentiated mesoderm. And these eventually become the, nef- the nephrons. Renalogenesis occurs when the ureteric bud fails to develop. If the ureteric bud forms, but there is no interaction with the mesoderm, renal dysplasia occurs. So if your uh, if your ureteric bud, which came past all those other steps, <laughs> doesn't uh, form, you get complete renalogenesis. But if it does form and it doesn't do this dancing step with the mesoderm, then you have the kidneys, but there's renal dysplasia, so they don't form correctly. All right, two more true-falses. Let's go. Question 39, oh, no. true-false. <laughs> renal tubular acidosis can be a transient developmental problem in Ooh. the neonate and young <gasps> infant. True. <laughs> Boom, done. Yes. Question 40, true or no, false? No, but you do the answer. Do the rest N- answer. No, we read about this. It's, we read about this already. <laughs> Choice, question 40. The prenatal diagnosis of hydronephrosis is almost always indicative of a renal or urological pathology in the newborn. Yeah. The prenatal diagnosis of hydronephrosis is not usually associated with a specific cause and often resolves before birth. If you've ever been referred a baby to the NICU because of this, you've how many renal ultrasound have you done that were completely normal? All of them. Yeah. Not all of them, most of them, but uh, you know the the a que- an answer choice that has always in it. Careful, you got to be very careful about that answer choice. Uh, it's, it's, pricky. It is pricky. rarely. It is rarely not never, but it is rarely the right answer choice. Definitely, this was fun. Phew.
All right, buddy. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review Podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nicupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at NICUPodcast. Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.